0: So today we're back on track with our series that we've, we were now in the third week of called Chase the Lion. Uh, and, uh, just, uh, uh today, I, I thought this was interesting. <clears throat> coach, while well, you're still, uh, finding Second Samuel 23. Coach Wooden, who's, who's, who's heard of Coach Wooden? Famous, famous, uh, coach. Just, he always said in, th- everything that seemed to come out of that guy's mouth would seem to be gold. Uh, He just had such wisdom. And and I've never been a basketball player. I obviously do not have the build for playing basketball. I wrestled, which is always comical because growing up in in junior high and high school, once a year the wrestling team would get um, challenged to a basketball game, which was totally comical, (laughs) totally comical. And I was the worst out of all of them. I'm a good passer. And that is the extent of my basketball skills. Uh, but it was a blast after being berated and humiliated to challenge the basketball team to a wrestling match. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. A lot of screaming, a lot of crying took place, a lot of, hey, hey, that's not legal. Um, that was just all kinds of fun. But I, I just never really got educated in, in basketball, I never really participated. But um, Coach wouldn't. Was such a significantly wise believer to where he his faith bled into his coaching, and he believed that good coaching was like mentoring. Uh, he he wasn't one of these he wasn't one of these coaches that you you probably hear on the news from time to time that just says, "Hey, I am who I am. Uh, I've got a multi million contract. I'm a coach. I'm hired to do this. I'm not hired to be somebody's father. I'm not hired to be somebody's example." You know, you guys go take a flying leap and go suck eggs or whatever. You get this, you get this attitude. That was not Coach Wooden. Not at all. And so you hear little nuggets like this. I just chose two that are appropriate for today and as we, as we dive into Second Samuel. The, the first one is, is this. He'd say this to his players. If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Chew on that little nugget. Here's another one. It's, it's not so important who starts the game, but who finishes the game. I love it. It's just so simple, but it always, anytime Coach Wooden would, would come off with one of those quotes, it always made us just stop and pause and like, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm still marinating on that one. Yeah, that's, I got, no, there's still more depth to that one, <laughs> even though, I mean, it's kind of like my my granddad was always famous for these little sayings. He would say, hey, Paul, I caught a fish the other day. Hey, Granddad, that's great. I said, how big was it? He says, it was about as big as a piece of rope. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you, you walk away just thinking, you know, and he would tell these crazy stories. But, um, but, I, but my granddad would say, oh, he said something really wise one time. I have some recordings of his. and He said, uh, he said Paul, you know, it's nice to be important. But it's really important to be nice. I remember thinking about that as a little kid, walking away. Yeah, that's great, Granddad. I put my hands in my pocket. And I'm going. Wait, what? You know, it's just things that are just a little bit more depth in depth than, than what you first uh, when you first chew on it. Um, this series called Chase the Lion. Uh, if you're just now jumping on board, or as a uh, as an act of review, uh, it, it kind of takes the premise. Mentally of, and if you can, if you can envision this, if you can pretend, uh, pretend that there is a 500-pound lion barreling down on you, uh, chasing you, and 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 what happens is this image of a 500-pound lion comes in through the optic nerve, gets filtered through the visual cortex, and sends a really, really, really important message to your body: Run! That's typically what, what takes place. That's typically our response. Uh, the series is called Chase the Lion. Like, what are the lions? What, the lions are the dreams, or sometimes even the obstacles in between us and the, the dreams that God has given us, the, the manifest destiny. Uh, it's the premise that if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. And I don't know about you, but that statement right there, if your dream doesn't scare you at least a little bit, it's too small, that has really challenged me personally. Uh, and I hope that you have been getting challenged between what the Holy Spirit has been doing and saying through the Word uh, through these times, because I know it's hitting me between the eyes in so many different places. So I hope at least one of you are growing from it, because I'm having a great time. <laughs> um, uh, today we 're talking about what what it means to what are, what are the disciplines of uh, chasing dreams, what are the disciplines uh, and we 're going to look at that here in second Samuel here in just a, here in just a second second uh, samuel twenty three we 're just going to read a couple verses like we do because this story this is is a true story it 's not just a, a made up uh, fluffed up piece. Of biblical, you know, of poetical literature, this actually accounts, uh, the, and, and we and we trust that it is. As we read the story of, of King David, we we see this uh, we see this this narrative take place as uh, as he ends the end of his life and uh, he starts talking about all kinds of things. And one of the things he talks about uh, to us even today, not just through his mighty men and and, and the people of Israel. But to us today, he even talks about disciplines and how they relate to to dreams. As we apply it today, I don't typically I don't typically quote uh, celebrities, um, just because I, I don't I mean I don't if I don't know them really well and I don't necessarily always know the context nor do I know uh, lifestyle blah 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 blah. But this was interesting. I came across this interview on YouTube with Will Smith years ago, the actor, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Well, this is a story of... No, 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 no. <laughs> Suddenly everyone's seeing fluorescent colors and and the Carlton, yeah. which you will not see from me. <laughs> but Will Smith is in this... Um, this interview, and it's really interesting. They're talking about, you know, why he's, obviously the context behind it is they're, they're talking to him about his success or his, his new success. And, and so Will Smith is just very candid, and he says, he says a statement, I will die on the treadmill. And the, and the person who's interviewing him, what, what does that mean? He says, I will not be outworked. No one is going to work harder than me. I guarantee it. Uh, you may be more talented than me, you may be more skilled than me, you may be smarter than me, you may be uh, better looking than me, but he says this, he says, but if we get on a treadmill together, you are going to get off first or I'm going to die. That's discipline, that is dedication. Uh, I do not share his dedication with the treadmill, obviously. Obviously. I, I don't, but he—you see him transform himself for certain for certain roles, and you could tell. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going to be the last guy. He's going to be the last guy out. Whether it's 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 honing his craft, his timing, or or even what he's doing on the treadmill. But I thought that was interesting. I will die on the treadmill. You're going to get off first. No one's going to outwork me. I just thought, you know what, that's that's absolutely admirable. So when we come to 2 Samuel, we see a we see a historical, ancient, biblical example of that very same tenacity. I love the story. And I hope you're falling in love with it, too, because it's so much more than a story. It is, it is a historical reflection of some of the things, not only just the ways that God likes to work with us or is willing to work with us, but some of the things that God calls us. Calls us to some of the dreams that he invites us to dream. I love this, um, and like I said before, Second Samuel. Before we read it, um, it's it's David's last words. So David is obviously choosing. He's got quite a life behind him. Uh, obscure uh, shepherd boy, um, uh, bear, lions, tigers. Oh my! He killed them. Um, oh, yeah, he, slung a, he slain a giant, that little thing. Uh, and he just he rises out of obscurity, and he's, 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 he's good-looking, he's scrawny, he becomes this mighty warrior. Uh, a lot of mighty warriors you don't necessarily look at. You don't, you don't look at certain like, uh, Sparta-like warriors as a being as equipped for the battlefield as they are to pick up a guitar and start singing like Chris Tomlin. But you, but you get this picture. He's just, he just. Got, what God does through him is just kind of crazy. It's kind of, it's kind of out there. So l- let's read. It's, it's not, it's not a very long read. Um, so ver, uh, verse uh, eight. So these are the names of the mighty men whom David uh, had: uh, Josheb, Bishbeth, uh, Tekumahnite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against eight hundred, whom he killed at one time. And we've, we've covered that story. Verse nine, though. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. That's really unfortunate. Son of Ahoi. And he was with David when they defeated the Philistines. This is key. He was with David when they defeated the Philistines, uh, who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. It's another interesting piece that we've looked at a little bit. Verse 10. He rose, this is Eliezer, he rose after everyone retreated, he rose and he struck down the Philistines until his hand uh, froze to the sword. His hand literally froze to the sword. I think that's really interesting. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've worked with my hands a little bit, uh, building fence with my dad and splitting rails with, with uh, splitting malls and... Um, and wedges, and my dad was the, the chainsaw, and so if you've ever done that with like cedar or anything like that, that's not an easy job. You just, you just, you're just swinging, just swinging all day, and it's just, this gripping. And I remember the first two days, my hands had this permanent claw to them, from where they <laughs> were gripping the axe handle. It was as if I couldn't, I remember at one point right after work, I couldn't get my gloves off, because I couldn't straighten my fingers. I had to actually put my hand down on a table and do this with it and then kind of do one of these where you bite the, the, the glove with your teeth and pull it off. And then I had to repeat. It was crazy. I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. And I, I have an experience, you probably do too, where you were doing so much physical labor for so long and it was so intense that your, your hands, your muscles literally froze in position. And I, and I picture that with with Eliezer and his hand was froze to the sword. Here's here's a big difference, though, uh, because when we read this story, we read that his, his he was tired, obviously, and his hand was frozen to the sword. But then it goes on to say, and the Lord brought about uh, a great victory that day. And so what, what the story tells us is that Eleazar, when his hand froze to the sword, when he was at that point of fatigue, he didn't do what I always did, take a break. My hand is not working. Something is wrong. I need to fix this. This is not good. <laughs> and so I would take a break, and I would try to relax my hand and then drink, you know, maybe some water or something, maybe get a little lunch, a couple cookies in me, whatever it was. And then eventually my hands, I get mobility, and then I would go back at it when I re- would get my kind of my energy restored. Eliezer doesn't, doesn't do that. He just keeps going. He's like, oh. Cool. I don't even have to work at gripping this. My hand is just frozen. Sweet. And so he just keeps swinging. And God uses it. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and they defeated and they, and they defied the Philistines that day. But what's interesting is you, you, keep, you keep reading. You read through this whole narrative. You start at the top of, of chapter 23, verse 1, and you, and you start reading the story about how these are the last words of David. About how, and he just starts painting this picture of his life, and at the very top of the story of David's life is about somebody else, who was very influential in his life. Uh, David's obviously gone through a lot of change to be able to say, "Hey, here's the story of my life." If you're if you're kind of on your deathbed and you know that this is kind of your last will and testament, you're going to choose your words wisely. I, I think it's it's incumbent on us to actually um, listen wisely to these words, because early on, David chose to talk about uh, ben- Benaiah and, to, and talk about Eleazar, and, and his hand getting froze to the sword. What's interesting is earlier on in David's life, when he was just this nobody, um, he saw a massive Philistine giant mocking Israel every day, taunting them saying the worst of things, not only about Israel, but Israel's God, who was also David's God. And something rose up in David. And I believe that day, God began to birth a dream into David and begin to align uh, his, his synaptic connectors in his brain to all the preparation that, he, that God had had him do. The, the mundane started to make sense of shepherding, the mundane of, of singing. Began to start make sense the mundane of all of the conversation and prayer with God began to start connecting, and he sees this and and he says that, no no nobody's going to talk that way about my God and then he gets you know stones and we know the rest of the story he slays uh, Goliath. What's interesting is you fast forward so many years and you tell a story that you also see paralleled in, in uh, First Chronicles. We'll tell this. Same exact story from just a bit of a different perspective. But tells the story of how the Philistines, even though Israel from time to time would get their act together and they would employ the power and the blessing and the will of God, they would actually defeat the Philistines. But the Philistines plagued Israel time after time after time. It was just a cycle of insult and oppression and bullying. And, and words and threats. And you, and you fast forward to the story here, and you see this narrative actually play out where Eleazar is on the battlefield, and the Philistines are doing the exact same thing they always do. They're just slurring like, you know... Your mama wears combat boots, and you guys are a bunch of losers because you remember all these other battles. Yeah, we spanked your little bottoms red last time, and you know. eh. And and this was this was just a cycle that that always happened to them. It seemed like. And Eleazar saw this, and then and then then the then then the muscle came out, (laughs) as it always did, and Israel ran, except for Eleazar and a sword, and he's like, uh-uh, puts his hat backwards, it's business time, and he grabs his sword, and he starts swinging, and he swings, 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 and he swings until his hand freezes to the sword, and then he keeps swinging, he doesn't retreat, he doesn't take a break, and he swings until it was finished. And then what happens? All his buddies come burning back. <laughs> Who's ever been there before? He's like, okay, thanks, good timing, guys, good timing, yeah. How was the lunch break? Yeah, yeah, thanks for your help. These are the last words of David, and I think there's something not just significant, but significantly deep for us to understand um, when it comes to this this thought, this element of being dream chasers, the dreams that God gives us. We'll talk about just some what-ifs later. But I think it's amazing that he introduces this idea of being disciplined in the midst of that. Because typically when you think of a dreamer, you don't think of someone who's really disciplined. You think of somebody who is, well, they're a dreamer. They're a dreamer. Anyone have dreamer kids? They're daydreamers. They just love to dream. You know, I've, I've, got, I've got at least a couple of them, I would say. Maybe you yourself are, and you're just not, I don't want to be your next illustration. I don't want you to call me out, Paul. Uh, I won't, won't be mean. But we all, we all know what that means. You know, oh, they're just a dreamer. They're just a dreamer. Lofty thoughts. Never really get much done. But God's definition of a dreamer is somebody who uh, not only has the deep, deepest character, but someone who has the fortitude to be disciplined to stay and do the work and the training and 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 all the foundational things, um, to get the job done, whatever it is, whatever that dream is. But discipline is very much an intimate part of what uh, God calls us to. We see that in him taking space, taking breaths. If you can imagine, you're on your, your your deathbed, you're writing your last words. You're going to choose your words very carefully. And I think David does here. We see in Judges 8, 4, a very similar uh, tenacity, a fortitude uh, about Gideon. It, sa- it says this, and Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, they were faint, yet pursuing, which means that they were tired. They'd been pursuing for a long time, and they could have, at the river, stopped. But they pursued even though they were exhausted. Discipline. Discipline takes us to that point where we're uncomfortable. Discipline takes us to that point where we are inconvenienced and propels us farther. Uh, it's interesting when we when we read this. And, and so I want to talk just uh, real briefly just a couple different disciplines that I can see there's. There's obviously many layers to this, but for the sake of this morning, I want to look at two disciplines. First discipline here that we can extract from the word is the discipline to build courage. When, when we live a disciplined life, when we're following Jesus, I'm not talking about dead. I'm not talking about being just being uh, anesthetized uh, you know, religious people. That, that's so not what I'm talking about. Um, but when we live a disciplined life... Um, One of the greatest fruits that God builds in and through us is courage. And he builds that in and through us. That's a fruit that takes place in us first. Uh, 2 Samuel 23.10 says, But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. That not only took Strength, but at one point, strength was probably, at least in his hand, was done because his muscles were just frozen. And so he had a choice of either just taking a break running, that's good for today, uh, or to keep swinging. He chooses to keep swinging. To choose to keep swinging takes great courage. That would have taken so much courage. To, to think about, I know when I used to build uh, those fences, you're, 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 you're swinging this way. So the rail or the log is between your legs, or you're standing on the log, and hopefully somebody at the other end is holding it still for you. And you're swinging this 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 big mallet, which is a splitting mall backwards for us, um, and you're swinging towards your toes. And we all know what happens when we get really tired. We get less and less in control of that which we are wielding in this case, it was like a, you know, 20, 25 pound uh, uh, splitting mall thing. <laughs> and, and and sparks are flying off of these because we're using them so much. I remember one day, uh, the, another high school buddy of mine who was uh, working with us, I got him the job too. Uh, a shard of the splitting mall shot off like a bullet of them. I kept telling him, hey, that's going to split off. No, no, he kept going, he kept going. Rick was just... Rick was so disciplined. He really was. He was just, and he's a great athlete. And, and, and there was a reason why. And he just wasn't going to stop. It wasn't time to stop. And pretty soon, it was like a bullet, I saw this thing shoot into his bicep. And this little, 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 <laughs> this little squirt of something. Um, and uh, yeah, this piece of steel shot into his bicep. He had to go to the hospital, get it dug out. It was a really fun, fun day. It was a really fun day. Uh, you know, typically when we get that tired, we stop because we know that we kind of get a little less, you know, in control. And, and I appreciate this piece right here because the courage that welled up inside of Eleazar to keep swinging that day was massive. So far beyond what I think I would ever have. But Eleazar, here's the thing. Eleazar did not win the battle that day. He did not win the battle the day of the battle. Where did Eleazar win the battle? He won the battle in his preparation in all of the days and the years beforehand. If you read back far, uh, uh, farther into the story, you will hear how much pleasure David took in training all of these guys in their preparatory years with them. All their training, all the, all the exercising, the disciplines, the repetition, that day on the battlefield, all of that repetition, all of that preparation came to bear. So Eliezer did not win the battle the day of the battle. He won it in the days beforehand. Because, and, 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 and what all of that developed in him, he was this, this disciplined, he was so disciplined in his training under David. Uh, and the training led to this courage that God began to build in him, and that courage Provoked him, being catapulted towards the dreams that God have had for him. See, I, I firmly believe no one achieves uh, his or her dream without daily disciplines. I just, I, you know, we, we're so, we're such a gimme uh, culture in in the global stage of things. We're such a. I really don't want to have to work at it too much. I'm just going to believe that if my dreams are supposed to happen, I'm going to win the lottery, and not just the state lottery or the Powerball or something. I mean, just the, the lottery. Like my dream is just going to, oh, it's just going to drop in out of the sky into my lap with a gift basket of Martinelli's. It's just going to, it's just going to show up. And and I, folks, friends, I don't see that. I just don't see that as God calls us to be uh, to, to to chase the dreams that He builds inside of us. I don't think it's I don't, I don't I don't think it's like winning a lottery. I think it's more like looking at the life of David, as flawed as it was, him showing up day after day, month after year. You get you get what I'm saying? It's a lifetime. And I know that's horrible news for those of us that are dreamers and lottery wishers. Because we want to see it come to bear just like that. We don't want to put in all that work. I'm sorry. Burst your bubble. It's not that it doesn't happen. But I don't think raw, real courage, stamina for the long haul, both physically, emotionally, spiritually... Gets developed, waiting for something to drop out. I think I think it's God building our courage, our trust, our obedience in Him, day after day after day. Whether it's easy to follow Jesus or it's one of those days it's really tough to follow Jesus. Our tagline around here is is uh, that we would be a family that that lives on mission, loving, living and loving like Jesus. That's challenging. <laughs> That's not an easy tagline. Trust me. If I wanted an easy tagline, I would not have chosen that one for for the, the, the mantle over, over our church. To live and love like Jesus. Oh. Oh. Seriously, pastor? Oh. I think I might want to try a different church. Oh. But it's when we do choose to live in love like Jesus every day, even though on the, on the, that, we're, that we have to face days where we fail miserably. Uh, David failed miserably, magnanimously, but yet he woke up and he kept going. And we see that because we see the end of his life and his last words um, no one achieves his or her dreams without daily disciplines. So the first, uh, uh, build courage. Uh, the discipline builds courage. Discipline, living a disciplined life, builds courage in us first, and then in others secondly. So that's kind of a peripheral blessing. Is it, is it, is it incites? He, uh, we see Eleazar, uh, he acted out of his own courage, but the courage that he exercised incited the courage of others around him. Now, we laugh and point at, the uh sissified soldiers that turned and ran the left alleys are there by themselves but when they saw what he was pulling off did they keep running no they turned around like wait a minute hey so if he can do this so can we and you get you get the point courage breeds courage courage does not breed cowardice does not does not breed the faint at heart Uh, When we become closer to Jesus, the most courageous human expression in all of uh, human history, when we get closer to Jesus every incremental day, we become a more courageous people. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced of that. I am so flawed. I have spent so much time uh, making mistakes. Uh, I could probably um, swap stories with the best of you. But if you knew me before Jesus, you would see that you would see the stark difference. Um, I was in a prison of insecurity. Now, if you have a bad opinion of me, like man, that's really, it's really unfortunate. I was hoping we could be friends, <laughs> and I'll still be your friend. Yeah, I mean that's. That was not me before. That just was not me. And you probably all have those types of stories when we get closer to Jesus. And that's what the, the spiritual disciplines are all about. So, the first discipline, build courage. The second the last one is to defy weakness. Yes. Who likes that one? Defy weakness. Uh, what weaknesses? Well, here's a hot topic. Past failures. Uh, when I say those words, when I say weakness, past failures, there is, there is such an, an HD dynamic, multi-screened newsroom, vision, and narrative going on behind your eyelids right now. Am I right? I know because I, I know what that looks like for me. I hear the word weakness, especially defy weakness and I hear the words, uh, past failure, I see quite a narrative. And Goliath was always humiliating, and the Philistines in general, they were always humiliating Israel. They humiliated Israel because Israel spent quite a few times failing, bowing, kowtowing, cow, cowering to their taunting. Spent a lot of time doing that. So the Philistines had ammo, friends, The enemy has ammo on you and me. Does he not? He does. But when we look at the gospel of Jesus, and we look what our friend and our Savior and our Lord willingly endured for us, when I look at stories like Eleazar, when I look at stories like David going up against Goliath. And we look at Eleazar with this sword freezing to his, or his hand freezing to his sword. Um, and they, they continue to mock Israel over and over and over and over and over again. The enemy constantly mocks you and me over and over and over again, pointing to your rear view mirror of, of failure and, and moments of weakness. And then he gets really creative, especially when we give him a little bit of a creative pin called Permission. He starts carving out this amazing big fish story tale. Like, it gets bigger and bigger all the time. And every time we entertain his false stories with just a little bit of truth, the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We feel weaker and weaker and more defeated. And we have less wind in our sails and we have less tenacity. And suddenly we find our place both emotionally. And even physically, back at the point that the enemy had started painting for us. Disciplines not only build courage, but they allow us to defy weakness. Even though if the past failures are true. Yeah, real. That happened. Uh, We can defy the repetition We could defy the indictment of the past failures, knowing that I can't change my past, but I can change my future. There's there's very few greater truths than that. You can't change your past. You can change your future. Change today. Change tomorrow. You can't change yesterday. That's what we decide within the daily disciplines of our life with our walk with Jesus. Are we going to kowtow and just sit in that little kiddie pool of our past failures? We're going to dive into the promise and possibilities that God has in store for us. We to dive into the deep end. We chase that dream. We could defy weakness, past failures, and then there's current challenges. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under the trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him persevered, current challenges. James writes this after Jesus' life on earth, which was really, really uh, poignant and well-timed because the times after Jesus ascended into heaven, those were some trying, persecuted times. Persecution against the church was white hot. The church was scattered all over the place. And you can imagine the kind of persecution they went through. We've talked a little bit about that over the months and, and years that we've been together here and there, and it's, it's mind-boggling. But the bravery, the courage, uh, the tenacity that you see of the, uh, the, that God built in and, and breathed in through his Holy Spirit through these fleshly, fallible men and women who have track records that are horrible, and he establishes his church, his ecclesia, on them. Go figure. That does apply to us today. Because they're not that different than you and I. We just wear different clothes. And uh, uh, our transportation is different now. James 1.12 talks about this perseverance. James talks about, he writes about the power of discipline and perseverance. There's power in that. And there's power to what? To boast? No, to defy weakness. That's the whole point in giving us power is to get over and overcome our weakness. Just like Eleazar's hand was was so fatigued it froze to the sword. So what do we do when our hand is froze to the sword? Do we take a break? Do we stop? Do we retreat? Or do we keep going? Our current challenges we can choose to ignore, or we can drive through the obstacles of our dreams that God's birthing in us. Eleazar was feeling the burn of fatigue, but he didn't quit. I think, it's, I think it's incumbent on us to see that. His hand froze to that sword and his disciplined training froze his hand to the sword. His discipline, day after day after day, what he had learned under David and the courage that welled up in that moment did not cause him to say, hey, I just need one of you cowards to help me get my fingers off of the sword so I can run as fast as you losers are right now. But he doesn't. He keeps swinging. I think that's a fascinating scene. And that gave him the strength. His disciplined training gave him the strength to persevere and to realize victory that day. Friends, God could give you and me a hundred dreams. Right? He can give us any number of dreams. He can give us one. He can give us a hundred. He can give us uh, uh, any kind of creative dream he wants and and he has. Um, Here's the thing that will never happen when God gives you a dream. It will never conflict with his word. He's not going to birth a dream in in us uh, and forget who he is. He's not going to forget his principles and precepts that he wrote in his word because if you read uh, John chapter 1, you start right there, it's kind of the beginning and the end of that discussion. Is the word word really all that big of a deal? Yeah, because it's Jesus, period. And, and we as a church, we believe, we believe that. I mean, we have to, st- we have to stand at our life. I have bet my eternity on that supposition alone. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, and you have the same uh, uh, holy Bible as I do, whether it has a different cover, it's a bit of a different translation, if it's the Bible of Jesus, then we believe that it is the infallible word of God. And we stake and stand our life on it, our families' lives on it, our eternity. God could give us a 100 dreams, but they're never going to conflict with the foundations of our relationship with him. I say this because I can't tell you how many people have come through my phone or my office over the years, whether they're students or they were grown, stinking men and women and saying, God told me this. And I am supposed to, I, 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 I'm washing my hands of this person. Or it's okay for me to speak and treat this person like this way or this person like that way. It's okay for me to have this extramarital affair because God said it's okay. <clears throat> uh, no. <laughs> I I disagree telling this why? cuz you want to you, you want a biblical debates or you know, and, and but typically when when things when we when we grab onto a dream and i say this with all seriousness um, i get so emotional when i when i just think of the when i think of the lives that have bought they've traded the truth for a lie and have been derailed and I pray that it's not an eternal derailment. I pray that they reconcile their life with the Word. That they, they reconcile their life with the Lord before they before they get to the point where David's at right here, and he's about to breathe his last breath. Because because we cannot ever get to that point where we're trading a truth for a lie. And so I say that with 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 uh, I say that God could give us a hundred dreams to expand our horizons and and our acceptance of. Just praying about things that that could seem kind of crazy, but we always vet it through what? We vet it through his word. We have to. Or or, or we become a relativist. Well, I think Jesus is this, and that's just what he told. The Holy Spirit told me, and so therefore he didn't tell you. He just told me, and so therefore you can't argue with it there. I wish that kind of a conversation was an anomaly for me. And maybe you've probably heard those conversations before, too. And and we we can't do that. We can't can't allow ourselves to remove ourselves from the Word of God. But removing ourselves from the Word of God supposes that the Word of God constrains us. Uh, uh, Removing ourselves from the Word of God presupposes that God is not for us. He's against us. And nothing can be farther from the truth. The Ten Commandments are there to protect us, not to uh, confine us. Dreams. He can give us a hundred dreams. But so often, here's the other piece that we have to be very careful with when it comes to dreaming and being disciplined and tenacious. Is so often we get a glimpse of a dream or an opportunity that we chase that dream so hard that we abandon and neglect the foundational disciplines of relationship. Which, which we are preeminently and ultimately, foundationally called to. Here's what that looks like we, get, we, we chase a dream so hard that we abandon or we neglect our relationship with Jesus. We get preoccupied. We can get so preoccupied that we can, dare I say, neglect our relationship with our spouse. Um, kids. Uh, as As student pastors, like you guys, for number and number and number of years, it brought me to tears so many times to look at my at my students and know that they have just amazing parents, but one or both are sacrificing the formative years, not building any kind of faith at home. why because they don 't have time because they 're so busy paying for the boat or they 're paying for that extravagant annual uh, family vacation that, that that is is good. It's good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if there is if there's an exchange, if there is a, an altar of sacrifice that has come at, at, at that price, that's when those things become uh, detrimental to us. And we can neglect those foundational pieces. We can, even neglect, we, we can even neglect our neighbors. Why is that a bad thing? Some of you may have neighbors just like, Man, you don't know my neighbors. It's a blessing to neglect my neighbors. I live in a neighborhood just like so many of you, and um, and I'm not uh, you know I try and be the the best neighbor I possibly can be, but I'm probably not the best neighbor I possibly could be, but I try, and I have challenging neighbors too. I I get it, but God calls us in the uh, the Great Commission. He calls us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Oh, and then love our neighbors ourselves. <clears throat> but you don't have my neighbor. Jesus's neighbors uh, drug him to a cross and spit on him and mocked him. And yeah, Jesus had the worst neighbors. He gets it. He gets it. Dreams. There's a couple different kinds. The universal. Dreams, kingdom dreams. We just mentioned it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's a dream that we're called to. There's another dream that we're called to that's, that's, that, is, that is put on all of us in birth in our, in our hearts when at, at, at conception, and that is to go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission. We, we all have those dreams. We all have that dream. That's a dream, and how that gets expressed are, are vastly different. But we all have that dream. Here's another type of dream, specific God-given dreams. I want to end with this. For some of us, he has given us a dream uh, to live in love through him uh, and, and to live and love the world that we're in, um, even to, dare I say, be prophetic, to be conduits of his word. But he's given us specific God-given dreams to be songwriters and artists. I'm convinced there are songwriters and artists in our midst today that maybe have been shying away from that for a long time. Or maybe God's still warming you up to that. I believe there are authors. That's a dream. You know, that writing a book is, is a dream. Um, writing a book as a believer, as the ecclesia, that's a dream. As a church, as, 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 as a follower of Jesus. Being a basketball coach to your dying breath, bleeding your faith through how you coach and mentor young men. Like Coach Wooden, that was a dream. And God manifest a great dream, changed a lot of people's lives through that. To plant a church, that's a dream. To be a missionary, that's a, that, that's a dream. Our dear friends, um, the Erickson's, God birthed a very, very terrifying dream. Uh, That they are living the dream right now. And they will say that, won't they? You see their Facebook and they are stinking living the dream. But you go back two, three years and they're like, I don't want this dream. They're like curled up just amongst themselves, sucking their thumbs. No, please let it not be true. Please let it not be true. Not us. Sometimes it works that way. To start a moms in touch group. To rally with moms of, of faith. Dads. Uh, the Lead a Life Group to implement a work as as worship kind of strategy at your, at your place of work. I, you know, I mean, I'm just spouting stuff off. But here's how I want to respond today. If you have anything, just want you to put your stuff aside for a second. I just don't want to uh, let us let us just be my optically focused on maybe what what God and His Holy Spirit is saying to each and every one of us today, because I don't want us to miss this. Um, and so, if you could just kind of just close your eyes. And uh, do the best you can to kind of hit the pause button on whatever, whatever's playing behind your eyelids right now. And so, Jesus, I just ask that you would allow us to uh, be able to see you clearly, be able to hear you distinctly. And Lord, you give us the, uh, the courage uh, to move forward as you call us. And we realize that, God, you, you might continue to unfold this over the course of hours and and even days or weeks and months, but Lord, would you even visit us as we sleep? Would you give us dreams? Would you speak to us even that way, Lord God? Uh, to our spouses, Lord, would you confirm to to those that we trust around us, Lord? Would you even would you even use them as mouthpieces, Lord Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you cause your word um, to just uh, open up and explode like it never has before, Lord, as we just contemplate um, how what kind of dreams you have that you are uh, building and. Uh, revealing to us today and friends i know you know will smith may be willing to die on a treadmill to beat his professional um, competition to meet his professional ambition but but i know a jesus who is willing to die on a cross for the sake of our soul without us even asking begging or badgering him jesus's hand froze to his sword and that's called the cross Uh, and, And he could have relented, but he had a dream for each and every one of us, is that we could have life and life abundantly. And so he kept going, and he kept his everlasting covenant with us. He made a covenant with David. It's one of the greatest chapters of the Bible and he makes a covenant, that, and that reflects to even to, to us and the coming Messiah and the covenant that he has with us. And, and, and knowing Jesus, knowing what his endgame was going to be, he, he, he kept his promise to us. And every day he walked this earth was a disciplined step towards his dream for us. Jake read this scripture over you earlier, and I wanted to read, us, read it over to us. Uh, right now, one last time as we close. 2 Corinthians four eight nine. 9. We are troubled on every side, but we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. And we are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Friends, what, what kingdom dreams is God putting on your spirit today? What specific God dreams are burning a hole in your heart today?